The goal of life is to live Christ-soaked. Think about that phrase, Christ-soaked. It's a new one. There's a lot of ways to think about this, but probably the best image that I can come to my mind is that of a sponge. A sponge holds so much more than its weight. And when you press against it or squeeze a sponge, that which is held on the inside gets shared out. Our lives should be this way too. And that's probably the best way to introduce the book of Colossians. It holds so much more than its weight. This tiny little book is chocked full of heavy-hitting ideas about Christ's relationship to the cosmos or Christ's relationship to our church or even our courage to act like Christ in the world. It's hard to overstate how full this little book is and how it challenges us to live a Christ-soaked life. So think about it like this. Everything we do, every action we take, all the thoughts that we think, the friendships that we maintain, the mission drives that we support, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, what we give to in the real estate of our minds, it all needs to be infused and saturated with Christ. We are to live in and for Christ. Hence the phrase, a Christ-soaked life. So Colossians is pretty Christ-soaked, and we should be too. And so I think you get it. So I want to jump into this book, and over the next month we will explore all kinds of things. And let's just see what we see. We aren't quite sure who penned this book, but we know that it's dated about 50 years after Jesus died. Although Paul probably did not write it, we're pretty certain he had a contemporary who founded the community in which the church is in. And so Epaphras was his name. So it could have been him who wrote this letter or a contemporary of him. Regardless, it came from the same time. This is the early church missionary Pauline movement. And Colossians it seeks to address a couple of key issues. The biggest is that it offers us a universe-sized claim of the doctrine of Christ. Colossians ups the ante by a billion in how we talk about and refer to Jesus as the Christ. He does it more than any other book in the New Testament. No one comes close to talking about how big Christ is than in Colossians. And that's what our text is about in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So let's read it slowly. Verse 15. He is the image, being Christ, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The author here establishes Christ as the image bearer of God and puts Christ next to God before creation, before anything else. Even time existed, Christ existed prior to Genesis 1. That is a huge claim, a powerful idea, 
a radical one, that Christ is not just the person bound up in the human Jesus, but something a lot more. In the 2008 New York Times bestseller, The Universal Christ, Richard Rohr argues this very point. He says Christians have lost sight of the seismic Christ figure, and we've relied too heavily on the human Jesus. There is nothing wrong with the human Jesus. His teachings and musings and miracles and personhood are all for us to model our lives after. But there is a difference between the Jesus that walked planet Earth and the universal Christ who built it. I'm not trying to trip you up. All of this is just Trinitarian language. So it gets a little confusing. So let me say it again. Christ was with God in the beginning. Christ is the head of the universe. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And Christ is more than any human, but is bound up in the human Jesus. And we know that Jesus was the visible image of God. Don't you just love Christian thought? I mean, all of this from just one little bitty verse in a tiny little book sitting in our New Testament. And it gets even better. Verses 16 and 17. For in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What I hear scripture saying, everything has been created through him and for him. The Christ figure saturates the entire cosmos. Everything that exists, exists for Christ and is stitched together and held by Christ. I mean, think about that language that the writer of Colossians is using. It is beautiful and a little bit unbelievable. And to illustrate the seismic nature of the Colossians Christ, nothing visible or invisible, throned or having dominion or powers can overtake Christ. He is before all things and in all things and holds all things together. Christ is way more than anything we could comprehend even more than the human Jesus. The human Jesus is a manifestation of Christ. So, like I said, I told you, Colossians is Christ-soaked. Let's go even further in verse 18. He, meaning Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. This head language is important. It means that the church is a body just like we have a body and the church has a head that gives direction to the body just like our mind and brain helps us. Christ is the head of this body of believers. 
Now, we could really sit with this for days. The universal Christ is what fuels and powers and guides and gives direction to our church. Christ is the mission, vision, and implementation strategy for all things First Baptist and all churches everywhere. Verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The doctrinal language in Colossians is thick and important. Perhaps none more important than what I just read in 19 and 20. Bound up in Christ is the fullness of God. Bound up in creation is the fullness of Christ. So bound up in creation is God living through Christ in all things. My junior year at college, I took a logic class and I learned what a hypothetical syllogism is, and you know it too. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals what? Exactly, C. That's what I just said. Bound up in Christ is the fullness of God. Bound up in creation is the fullness of Christ. So bound up in creation is God living through Christ in all creation. And through the unfolding of time, through the unfolding of the universe, everything is being reconciled back to God thanks to the work of Christ on the cross. This is rich and so directly relatable to today. I mean, the author is saying there is nothing on earth void of Christ's imprint. There is nothing in this universe that wasn't created for and by Christ. Everything is soaked in the love and presence of Christ. Every person, every plant, every bug, every storm, all the building materials and planets and stars, even the cosmos and even us. This past week, something unbelievable broke the news. I keep going back to it over and again because of just how awesome it is, and I use that word intentionally, awe-inspiring. So I'm going to do my best to communicate it back to you, but I have to be honest, I am no astrophysicist. NBC broke this news just a few days ago. Here's the headline. Space telescopes spot light echoing from behind a black hole for the first time. Here's what I think that means. You know what black holes are in space, right? I mean, black holes are regions where time and gravity is so powerful that it pulls together everything, including light, and nothing can escape its grasp. But what we now know is that even though light can't escape a black hole, its extreme gravity can warp space around it, 
which allows light to echo or bend around the back of the black hole. I think that is amazing. Dan Wilkins is the astrophysicist at Stanford University in California who used a telescope to observe this. His black hole that he was looking at is 10 million times more massive than our sun. It is 800 million light years away in the spiral galaxy. Think about the seismic nature of what I just said. And you want to know something even more mind-blowing. Albert Einstein's theory of relativity predicted this 100 years ago. It has taken us this long to prove another piece of his theory of relativity and how incredibly important and life-altering work that Einstein gave us. How did he know? It's amazing. And all of this that I just said, all of this created order, all of the black holes and dark matter and spiral galaxies, all the orbiting planets and supernovas and comets and fractals and stars, even the brain cells and astrophysics and science and all of the telescope technology, all of it helps us explain what God already knew to be true. All of the universe is created in and for and is soaked in Christ's light, even black holes. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, which means everything is Christ-soaked. It's like what Mufasa tells Simba when he talks about how much of the kingdom Simba is eventually going to rule in the Lion King. You remember this line? Everything the light touches. And now thanks to science, we know light touches everything, including the backside of black holes. Everything is bound up in Christ. And thanks to Christ's presence on the cross, all of the created order is being reconciled back to God because everything in the cosmos is Christ-soaked.